Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 81. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, across an average lifetime, Americans spend upward of 90,000 hours at work, a full 10 years of nonstop employment. With that much life investment, it's safe to say we want our work to matter. We want it to be more than a paycheck, but to make a difference. How do we make that happen? How does having a spiritual vision give purpose to our 9 to 5? That's what we cover in this week's episode. Check it out. Only 20 more years until retirement. You ever said something like that? I know realize it may have been a little while ago for you. If you have or you've ever thought it or insert the, the proper number for your situation, if you've ever thought that, believe me, I get it. I thought that myself. Many, many years ago, back before I met any of you guys, sometimes the nine to five can feel just like a grind, like a prison sentence. Like we're just counting down the hours until, like we got our our phone set or our computer set with a countdown until we get to retire. I mean, maybe you've got an overbearing boss or you've got seven supervisors that are all telling you at different times of the day how bad your TPS reports are. And then they call you in to work on a Sunday I mean, who gets called in to work on a Sunday? Come on, you know? The average American spends some 90,000 hours of their life working in a job. How do we make something like that be something other, feel like something other than a prison sentence? How do we make our time count for something? And if you've already passed that age of getting to retire, I know that fits in for at least a handful of you. How do you make the time that you've been given count for something? How do you make it meaningful? Well, the good thing is, is we're looking at this topic of having spiritual 2020 vision for our daily lives. We get a unique angle with this idea of work or volunteering. I'm going to use work, but I mean the two ideas synonymously because that covers a lot more of us. We get a unique angle because God does not just give us words about work. But God also actually embodies them. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could just ditch work altogether? If we could just bask on the Florida beaches 24-7? I'm guessing more of us than would be willing to admit that might desire something like that. I know how great it can be to be out of the cubicle life or off the assembly line. There are occasions when we go back to Chicago where we will visit Rachel's mom at her work. And she works at a place similar to what I did when I was in IT. It's all computer programmers, so it's like cubicle city. And I walk in there, and I'm just like, after 10 years of being out of it, I'm like, I could never do this again. Put in that kind of situation, I'd be the one throwing elbows off of the top cubicle, WWE style. As much as we may want to think otherwise, the fact is, God designed us for work. We see it in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man after he'd created him and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Now note one thing. This actually comes before the fall in Genesis 3. This was God's job for mankind when creation was perfect. That God designed when things were still all absolutely pristine. God designed for us to work, 
to have a job, to be able to contribute in some ways. You even take a step back and you look at the God who created us. Here's where I say that we get this unique angle because God embodies these ideas of work. You think about it, God worked when God created creation. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 how there is sort of this balance between God working and God resting. We'll cover the rest part later on uh, in this series. But there is a part of God's character that God works. And if we are created in God's image, then by extension, there is a part of our DNA that is designed in that perfect design that God had before sin wrecked it all, that we have some part of our DNA that leads us to work. So, I mean, escaping work is not the ultimate goal, as great as time on a beach in Florida may be, or time on the slopes in the mountains may be, whatever your poison. But if we want to have real joy in our lives, it's not about ditching work, but finding the way to make it fulfilling. Many of you guys have visited our friends that are in nursing homes or in the hospital. I, I bet many of them would love the opportunity to have that purpose back, to be able to go to work and, and contribute and do something meaningful. So how is it then that we find our purpose or know our calling? Maybe you've had your kids or your grandkids say, depending on, on ages, or maybe you even said to yourself, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what my calling is. It's one of those questions that can be incredibly stressful for people maybe finishing up, col- finishing up high school or finishing up college because it's almost like they're running out of time to make this life-changing or life-guiding decision. What am I called to do? I heard an interesting perspective on listening to this interview where a pastor was interviewing a serial entrepreneur, a person who creates and sells businesses for a living. He'd done this four or five times, young guy. But he actually put a different perspective on this idea of calling and purpose and being able to find it. Rather than ask, what are you passionate about? Because that's often the the way we try and figure it out. Jordan Rayner says it, he, he twists this idea a little bit, where he says, passion follows mastery. We get to love what we do by getting really, really good. What are we called to do can be a difficult question. But odds are, When you find something that you're good at, it's a lot easier to fall in love with it. This day, we get to celebrate bringing new people onto consistory. And this is probably one of the biggest loads of new people that we are bringing on, I think. At least in quite a while. Now, over the last 10 years that I've been with you guys, have I had a number of people say, I can't serve on consistory because I don't know how to do it? Yeah. And understandably, there is a learning curve to being on consistory to learning what it means to serve as an elder or to serve as a deacon. That's why we spend so much time training, growing as leaders, as elders and deacons. Because my guess is, and those who have been on it for a couple rounds, you can hopefully verify this for me, it gets to be a lot more fun when you're actually good at it. When you're not trying to figure out, who do I send this to and what, who do I call for this and that and... Once you got that figured out, maybe it actually gets to be fun. I know leading consistory certainly gets to be a lot more fun as you get better and better at it. That's why we spend so much time growing as leaders. Spend so much time trying to get good at it. So don't fear trying out different avenues or 
recommending to your kids or your grandkids, whoever may be asking these kinds of questions to you, to try out different avenues. You may not get it right on the first time to, be, to have something that you're good at that you eventually become passionate about. But give yourself some time. Give your kids and your grandkids some time to get good at it, that hopefully passion might follow mastery, at least a little bit. Because there are just about any career, calling, purpose we go after can be a place where, where our faith plays out, where 2020 spiritual vision has a place. We'll use the Apostle Paul as an example. A guy who is very obviously called as a Christian missionary, probably the most prolific writer of biblical letters, yet he made his living as a tent maker. That was his nine-to-five job. And as we see in the, the latest parts of Acts, that job actually gave him new ministry opportunities that maybe he wouldn't have had if he didn't have that skill. But Paul, he finds the purpose, he finds the good in a skill that is totally outside the realm of ministry. Just about any job we do can have a place that fits. And we see it even in today's scripture, finally getting around to the passage for today. Out of Luke 3, and the crowds asked John the Baptist, what then should we do? John had been razzing them pretty good earlier on in the chapter. And in reply, John said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked John, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and what should we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. See, John is talking, John the Baptist, an interesting character in and of himself, is talking to some quirky characters here. He's talking to a tax collector who basically was a legalized thief for the government. They would be told, okay, we need you to collect X amount of money. So what the tax collectors would do was they would charge X amount of money plus a nice hefty tax collector fee. And they would scrape that off and put it into their own pockets and give the government what was theirs. And the government was like, okay, that's totally fine. Does John the Baptist tell this tax collector to stop being a tax collector? No. He says, be an honest tax collector. He says in verse 13, he said to the tax collectors, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Whatever the government says to collect, be honest about it. Collect that, do your job, and go from there. He has the soldier who comes up to him. The soldier is basically a hired hand by the oppressive Roman government coming in to basically enforce the rule of this outside body. Certainly not friendly to the Israelites by any means. Does John the Baptist tell the soldier to stop being a soldier? No. He tells him to be a fair soldier. He says in verse 14, he said to the soldiers, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Believe it or not, one can be a tax collector or a soldier or fill in just about any other honest career and a follower of Jesus at the same time. We see uh, early on, 
I think in verse 12, how some of these very people, these people that were on the outside of society, as far as popularity goes, were being baptized, eventually following Jesus. John the Baptist himself, as I said, he's a pretty interesting character of all the New Testament guys. I mean, he eats honey and locusts. Andrew has grown to love the honey part. I don't think he's gotten to like the eating locust part. Walks around in camel hair outfits, sleeps out in the elements, and yet he has a very distinct purpose or calling to prepare the way of the Lord, the thrust of his entire message. His work has purpose. His work has meaning because ultimately our work is about helping people. Now, there's nothing wrong with earning a wage or making a living or being able to care for your loved ones or your family. But if you want joy, if you want purpose, it ends up having to be more than that. That's why one of the great things about so many of you who volunteer that there isn't a wage that goes with it. So that part is kind of nixed off the motivation table, if you See, work is about contribution, not compensation. The cool thing is you can do this whether you are flipping burgers or making mergers. You can do this if you are grinding 40 hours a week on an assembly line or you're already at the point where you're getting to collect Social Security and retirement money. It's about adding value to other people. That's what gives whatever we do purpose, makes it more than a grind or a prison sentence. So this week... The next steps that I've got for you. Whatever your work situation may be, whether you are still working, whether you are volunteering, or whether you're, for whatever reason, on the sidelines, this counts for you. I want you to ask, this, ask yourself this question when you wake up. How can I add value to somebody's life today? Whether it's at a job, whether it's volunteering, whether it's in a school, or just as you're passing people in the aisles of Wegmans, there's a hundred different ways in a hundred different scenarios that this can play out. How can I add value to somebody's life? When we start to answer that question, you know what? It can take even the most mundane things that we do and use those things to give us joy and to give us what could very well be world-changing Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.